Hello everyone, hope you've got your coffee at hand and you are sitting back and relaxed, ready to listen in on another wonderful episode of Let Fear Bounce. Hello, I am Kim Langling, your host. Today I welcome in Shannon Felder. She is an attorney, author, and a conflict management coach. Now folks, you're going to want to be relaxed for this one because we dig into some pretty good topics here on this episode. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Let Fear Bounce. This is Kim Langling, your host. And today I have with me the beautiful Shannon Felder coming to us from South Carolina. She is a conflict management coach. She helps people navigate conflict, gain conflict confidence, and create healthy conflict culture. She uses her more than 20 years of experience as an attorney and an organizational leader to help people get out of unhealthy conflict and into the zone of productive collaboration. Welcome, Shannon. Thank you so much for being with me today on Let Fear Bounce. Thank you so much for having me, Kim. I am so excited to be here. I am really interested. Your backgrounds, I just love it because you, you've got, uh, you were an attorney, so you probably saw, saw more than your sh fair share of conflict and how to, you know, learned how to deal with that on the job training, I guess, how it goes. But to bring that into what you're doing now, I think is just, it's, it's wonderful. So when you first started this journey of yours, first off, what, what is the name of your business or programs that you provide? So it's just Shannon L. Felder Enterprises, and I have a number of um, programs that I offer. Um, just to go a little bit into kind of how I transitioned into doing this, um, you know, like you said, Kim, as an attorney, I found people in the height of conflict, right? And so my practice was civil litigation, and um, I continue to practice in the area of child welfare and family law. So you can imagine families in the midst of divorce, custody disputes, things of that nature, just the level of conflict is so heightened. And what I found out was a lot of times when people would come to me, things had escalated to the adversarial legal context. But there were so many opportunities to have resolved the conflict in a manner that would preserve the relationship, right? By the time you get to a lawsuit, you're pretty much willing to scrap the relationship. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I offer a number of, of, of services that are designed to stop it from getting to that adversarial level. Um, yeah, so I start out, um, I do uh, individual leadership conflict coaching um, so I work with leaders of organizations to try to help them know how to navigate conflict within their teams. Um, I work with teams um, for um, churches, nonprofits, corporations um, to help them have healthy conflict uh, structures. And then if things get to a level prior to my involvement where we're on the brink of an adversarial um, proceeding, like a lawsuit is threatened or or even pending, then I step in and I do some uh, mediation and arbitration. So I try to stop things from going so far down the conflict road that the relationships cannot be salvaged. That is absolutely wonderful. And I've not heard of a whole lot of that. So are you kind of in your own little niche there? 
there are very few of us that that occupy this space. So I, you know, I'm something like a unicorn. <laughs> well, and being a unicorn, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the blaze a trail, sister. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, and, and I'm passionate about it because, like you said, there aren't many of us that do it, but we are all familiar with adversarial conflict. Everyone knows someone who had a nasty divorce and they can't co-parent. Everyone knows someone who left a job because they couldn't work out, you know, conflict in the workplace. And so it impacts everyone's life, but there just aren't a lot of us that are trying to help at this level. Now, it was interesting to me that you said the different organizations that you work with, one of them being churches. Yes. Yes. So I'm a pastor's wife. So I have seen my share of church conflicts. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you have. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I, I love working with faith-based organizations um, because, you know, for those of us that are from a Christian background, the, the Bible talks about, about us having the ministry of reconciliation. So for us to be in conflict and fighting is the exact opposite of what we're supposed to represent. Um, but what I found is people just don't know how to deal with differences. And when you don't know how to deal with them, then you just kind of default to unhealthy conflict. Yes, and sometimes that's over the smallest of things. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, when I'm talking with families in conflict, um, especially couples, um, I tell everyone, you know, every couple can think back to your first year of marriage and some conflict you had over the smallest thing. Um, my husband and I laugh because there are a lot of conflicts we had early on. We don't even remember what the conversation was about. We remember our responses. Right. right. <laughs> well, and as you were talking, um, especially about the working with churches and that you're a pastor's wife, my pastor had just recently shared in a sermon and it was about conflict and not gossiping and, you know, not talking behind your neighbor's back, especially the one who's sitting beside you in the pew, right. you know, <laughs> and he said, sometimes we put, and he worded it so nicely, we put way too much effort in what the color of the carpet should be <laughs> than helping the heart that's sitting next to us. Yes. And that really struck me because I have witnessed it too, you know, as in, through seeing members in, in my church act that way. I usually pull myself away. I, I just stay out of that bubble. I try and stay out of conflict and drama. Uh, but at times, like you said, the Bible clearly says, you know, it's, it's part of our mission. Right. And part of why we're here, you know, Absolutely. to bring us together in love and not separate us with negativity and, and drama and stuff. But I just, I love, I love hearing the passion in your voice for what you're doing. And I want to, I, I, I'm just going to let you go because I want to know more. So give me some examples if you're able to, some examples um, of where you've been from the very beginning. You, like you said earlier, a couple minutes earlier that you, you try and stop it before it gets to that, you know, having to go to court for anything. Absolutely. So um, again, I like to work with conflict culture. So um, I, I deal with 
going into the organization when there's not an active conflict, but there may be kind of some toxicity, some undertones that you know are ripe for a full blow up in the future. Yeah. Um, I, I'm thinking of, of one of my clients who is actually a pastor and um, this pastor had grown so weary of just all the relational conflict at the church that the pastor had lined up a month's worth of guest speakers and was questioning whether to, to continue. Um, oh my. Yeah, and so um, I began to work with this pastor and I always start dealing with the individual, right? So um, I, am, I am very um, pro-leadership. And what I mean by that is um, I don't go in and, and do a workshop with a congregation or with a team at a, at, a, at a workplace when I've not done a one-on-one with the leader. Right. The reason for that is because if I come in and I do a group setting and I'm bringing out these principles and the leader has not been made aware of them, there's always that glance at the leader, right? So I'll say something and everyone will look at the leader like, are you listening to her? Because... <laughs> And so um, I want the leader to lead the team in creating healthy conflict culture. So when I go to the organization, we're going in collaboration. Um, and so when I sat down with this particular pastor, we really began to dig into the root of the conflict personality style that this leader employed and how this person received conflict, right? Everyone has a conflict story. And most of us, our stories are not the conflicts that we were actively involved in. It's the conflicts we observed. It's the child watching the parents argue. It is um, watching um, the disagreement between friends at school. And so even from an early age, like you said, we develop a conflict style. Some of us, um, and what's amazing is the conflict styles that people tend to engage mirror trauma responses like fear, flight, freeze, or fawn. And so everyone kind of comes up with how they deal with conflict, and then we bring that into environments. Well, the problem with us going into work environments or church environments is everybody has a different style, and all of our styles are bumping against each other. Yeah. <laughs> And, and we're, not, we're not really communicating. Um, so for example, this particular pastor um, as a member before becoming a pastor was very compliant, um, was conflict avoided, would not um, address something, but kind of suck it up and move on for the good of the group. Well, when this person became a leader, when this person became a pastor, when you did not mirror that conflict style, it was perceived as disloyalty and disrespect instead of engagement. And oh, so, he, he had to have struggled in that transition. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and so when we really got to the root of, you know, just because someone disagrees with you does not mean they're personally attacking you. Um, and we really were able to peel back the layers of why the responses were the way they were. What we found out was um, that that particular church was ripe for growth 
ripe for ministry expansion because it's amazing sometimes as leaders, we want certain people to come into our teams with certain skill sets. And then when we're blessed with their presence, we don't know how to handle it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And so we actually begin to argue with people and view people as problems when they're actually the solutions we've been praying for. So um, it's, it's really exciting to see that team come together. Um, you know, I, I also um, have worked with people who um, have what I call silent teams. Um, um, one of the things that I'm, I'm very keen on making sure people understand is that silence is not agreement. And so, so sometimes you'll be working with the team and the leader will, will say, well, everyone agrees, but I don't understand why I'm feeling all this tension. And, you know, I'm like, the silence is not agreement. There's a whole <laughs> undercurrent in your organization. Um, there is water cooler talk that you are not a part of. <laughs> and, um, so really um, encouraging um, healthy conflict. How do you engage someone? Um, I tell people invite healthy conflict, right? So um, it may be simple things. Like one of the things that I, um, I help a lot of leaders do is um, to create safe conflict zones, right? We talk about psychological safety, a safe conflict zone mm -hmm. um, where you can challenge me and not be worried about um, unfair treatment, retaliation, isolation, um, you know, I, I want you to help me and help the team produce the best result. So, um, so for example, I see a lot of leaders um, and I do a whole teaching on how to conduct meetings, right? Because a lot of times when we as leaders do meetings, we kind of information dump and then we say, what do you all think about that? Or don't you all agree that that's a good idea? Well, number one, you haven't given people an opportunity to digest the information. So the blank stare is not agreement, it's trying to think through it. Right, right. <laughs> and then you ask the question, right. And then you ask the question like, don't you all agree? As if you're presupposing that everyone should agree, which puts people in the position of saying, well, if I disagree, I'm going against my leader's presupposition. How does that impact me? So just simple things like, communicating the information portion of meetings in advance and saying, hey, at the meeting on Friday, this is one of the things we're going to be discussing. I wanted you to have an opportunity to review it. I, think, I, I love that. I love that. Now, when you are working with leadership teams and such, are you more, are you more in a rural area or are you more in a city area where you're at right now? Well, I, I am, you know, I don't think South Carolina has an area that would really be considered city city, um, but um, I, I do live in our state's capital. So um, it is one of three cities um, that would be, you know, comparable to a city. But the beautiful thing, um, the mixed blessing of the pandemic has been because we're delivering services in a virtual environment, um, I work with clients from all over. So uh, I was going to ask if you had taken your taken your mission virtual or not. So you, I mean, you have a much wider reach now. Absolutely, absolutely. And so I've also um, 
you know, pre-COVID, um, we had to convert them to virtual, but um, I was in the process of, of doing some on-site um, working with organizations. And so um, I have not done a lot of team, like the entire team mm -hmm. um, virtually, um, just because um, I've, I've been working so heavily with leadership, but there are plans um, as we kind of get a grip on, on COVID, there are plans for me to go in and actually work with the entire teams when I'm currently working with the leadership. That would be great. And yeah, when the world changes, <laughs> I don't even right. think, I don't right. even think it goes back to normal because there is no normal. Um, you know, it's just, right. we, we just, you know, strap ourselves in. We're, we're along for the ride. <laughs> I had, and you know I, what's, what's been amazing? I'm sorry, what I was going to say was been amazing to me is actually uh, being able to help leaders deal with um, the unique challenges of COVID, right? Because we're no longer in the boardroom or in the large conference room having these meetings. And so I saw some leaders who began to communicate exclusively via email mm -hmm. um, and, you know, email can be so misinterpreted and, um, you know, even conference calls. So one of the simple things I've worked with leaders on is maintain your schedule, but do it via Zoom, do it via Microsoft Teams, but get face to face with your team because you need to be able to see the nonverbals and right. you need to be able to, right. And one of the things I found out is even working in a virtual environment, um, if, you are, if you are the head of the team, your work from home experience is probably very different than your admin. You know, um, I actually lead a team and um, one of my managers was not really thinking about the fact, and this was a legal team, um, one of my managers was not sensitive to the fact because we're doing hearings virtually. And so the paralegal was participating in the hearing virtually. And so, you know, the attorney is sitting up at home with a home office and all this kind of stuff. Well, the paralegal's at her kitchen table with her children being homeschooled and she's trying to pay attention to this hearing and hope it ends by lunchtime so she can clear the table so the kids can have lunch. And, right. you know, she's working late and her husband's like, you're, you're at the kitchen table. Like, how can you work late and we eat dinner? You have to think about all of those dynamics, but just by saying, do a team meeting via Zoom they got to just briefly see everyone's work environment and it was a reality check. Oh, I'm and sure. And so I think, you know, yeah. So I think, you know, one of the things I love doing is bringing empathy into our conflict structures. Um, and I like to tell people empathy is not what would I do or how would I feel if this situation happened to me? Mm -hmm. It is putting myself truly in the position and place of this other person what would my experience be and how would I respond to that experience? And when we do that, it just goes a long ways. Indeed, indeed. Now I know just from my experience here, I live in a very rural area um, and I, I was in the corporate world. I was a sales and marketing manager for years and years for manufacturing and lost my job due to COVID in November. But I do recall, and there's smaller manufacturing companies here, literally in an old farm field. Been there for years and years, very rural. You're surrounded by, by farm fields. Now, I've noticed that those types of teams, 
there may be second, third, or fourth generation running the company. They just do how they've always done. COVID came, completely threw them off stride. Had no idea. And when we did have to close for a bit until we got a waiver to continue manufacturing what we did, but they had no clue. They were so thrown by having people work from home, at least the, the office people, production people, obviously not, sure. but the office people and myself being one of them, they had nothing in place to be able to do anything virtual completely. They were thrown for a loop and it was difficult for them to hear ideas because they've always been in that same bubble. This is the way we've always done it. Do you run into that sometimes? I do. And um, I like to always tell people there is no change without conflict. Um, and so sometimes we intentionally make change. And as with COVID, sometimes change is thrust upon us. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so um, you know, really understanding how to deal with change, um, how to remain relevant, um, especially when, like you said, you're dealing with multi-generational issues um, or multi-generational leadership. Um, and so again, that's why I always start with the leader um, because if the leader is not receptive to healthy conflict, if the leader is not receptive to new ideas, if the leader is not receptive to change, then it becomes very difficult for the team to really coalesce and progress. Um, you know, I do work with individuals who find themselves in toxic conflict situations and I help them navigate that, but I always make sure the, the expectation is grounded in reality, which is there are gonna be limits on what you can do in this structure if you don't have the engagement and support of leadership. And that's why I'm so um, big on working with um, leaders um, the other the other thing that kind of brings me a lot of a lot of joy, um, just looking at that um, scenario that you gave, is I find leaders who are frustrated because they can't get their business to the next level, they can't get their organization to the next level. Um, I work with supervisors and managers who you know went to school and have all this technical competence in their area, and the only thing stopping them from really elevating professionally is the fact that as you elevate, you typically become responsible for more people. And you can have all the technical skills. If you don't have the conflict skills, you're gonna be capped, right? So, right. Um, you know, people make decisions about promotion, not just about technical competence, but about how you engage your team. What does your team think about you? What does your team produce? And um, what's amazing to me, and I was thinking, I went to law school, and they taught me all about negotiation. They taught me all about mediation. They taught me all about arbitration. And then I graduated and eventually ended up in a work environment where I had paralegals and law clerks and other attorneys. There was not one thing I learned in law school that taught me how to deal with the conflict within the firm. Yeah. And so um, if, if you don't develop those soft skills, you're going to be capped. And so um, it brings me a lot of pleasure to see leaders coalesce a team, demonstrate not just technical proficiency, but also demonstrate the conflict proficiency mm -hmm. that they need to go to the next level.
So what you had talked about just a couple minutes ago, um, how you work with some folks that they're not the leaders, but they're in this position at work. Sometimes you work with them as individuals and <clears throat> excuse me, it may be a, a toxic environment or something. There, there comes a time for some, for some folks where that environment, no matter how hard they try, it's not good for them professionally or health, health wise. Absolutely. Have you run across that where you've actually had to say, you know, it might be better <laughs> if you went elsewhere, if you're able to. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I, I think one of the, one of the reasons I enjoy working with people in that particular um, circumstance is because um, you have to explore whether that is actually the case. And what I mean by that is um, sometimes our own conflict styles, like if we're conflict avoidant, um, then sometimes we're making assumptions about an environment without giving it a chance. Um, and then, so I like to work with them on what you can do in your current environment. Mm -hmm. um, and then if you need to transition to another environment, how you can go into that new environment open-minded and not bringing trauma triggers from the last experience, right. um, you know? And so that, that is huge. One of the things that, um, that I do is I, I do a training on how to have difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think about the manager that has to terminate someone or the manager that has to address poor performance, but equally, it is a difficult conversation for a team member to have to go to the leader of the team and say, I don't think I'm being, a, I'm being allowed to bring the, the sum total of my skill set to this environment. Or um, I saw so-and-so get promoted instead of me. I feel like my work product was worthy of consent. Like, how do you have that conversation? Um, because a lot of times there are conversations that never occur and we just make assumptions and we leave based on those assumptions without ever having the conversations. And so um, I like being involved um, to help you have those conversations and then take the feedback that you get from those conversations and determine whether there's something that you can do within that environment or whether you do need to leave. This is fascinating. I, 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 love, I love what you do. And it's obvious that I can see and hear the passion in your voice for it. And what, what you, there needs to be more of you is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> there, there does, there does. And I know um, just because I live in a rural area, it's mostly small town and this is going to sound judgmental, but it's small town mentality. Sure. And, um, and I know that does sound judgmental, um, but it's true. Right. <laughs> And when, if you've got employees or team members that have been outside of this bubble, mm -hmm. they've lived in their whole life, and you've got folks that have been out, you know, in different countries and larger corporations and different levels of management and such, it's hard for that type of person to come in that has a, a lot more experience dealing with different people and different cultures than the actual leadership does. Right. That that can cause friction as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and I always tell people development is a byproduct of exposure. And um, uh, but 
why does that become conflict? It becomes conflict because instead of the leader being open to the experiences of that person, they view it as a threat. Yes, you are and, right. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 you know, and that and that's part, you know, as as we talk about fear, right? Um, I fear change. I fear you because I think your breadth of experience becomes a threat to me because I don't have the same level of experience. And anytime we do things grounded in fear, then um, you know what we do is we 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 arm up, right? <laughs> right. Whatever our conflict style is, when we perceive fear. We go to it. We either, you know, gear up for the fight or else we start ducking and hiding because we're conflict averse or else we start, you know, saying things and overcompensating to appease you. But these are all fear responses. Mm -hmm. And when you stop fearing conflict, when you stop fearing our differences, then we can become collaborative, right? So um, when you get to the point where you say, you know what, it's going to make me look stronger as a leader when I allow this person to bring their experience here. And instead of being threatened by you, I can communicate my value of you. Right. And then that engenders loyalty and more cohesiveness. And we can really take this thing to the next level. Um, but, but we've got to conquer that fear. Yes. And, and you know, it, it's it's everywhere. Absolutely. There's everywhere on every level, you know, within businesses, corporations, churches, what have you. It's 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 at every level. And particularly over the last 12 or so months, I've noticed it more and more. Um, now that I'm working from home, I can honestly say I'm much happier. <laughs> you know, I don't have to deal with conflict or toxic environment. Um, not that I ever shied away from it, but... Sure. It was hard to, like you had said earlier, hard to explain, you know, I, you know, I have this experience. Can you please let me use it? Mm -hmm. You know, this will be so helpful to this project, or this could help this project really move to the next level. And it, it is difficult. And it's, it's so difficult on so many different levels. If you see people that have something that you don't, because you're always going to meet someone like that let them shine. Absolutely. You know, they bring in their flame, fan their flame form because it can only be better for you and your company. And it makes you as a leader that much better to, you know, that you're listening, you're open, you have empathy and you are willing to educate yourself. I think that is the cause of almost all division in the world. <laughs> no one they're always afraid of what they don't know or what they don't understand, but they'll never admit that it's a fear. Right. You know, and I, sometimes I feel like I'm just talking to a wall when I say that to people. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, educate yourself a little bit. Don't start an argument because you think you're right. You arguing with me, trying to pound your opinion on me makes me tune you out even more. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of times when we say that we are being open-minded, we're really not. Um, <laughs> what we're actually doing is we're agreeing to have a conversation with you 
for the purpose of convincing you to right. adopt my viewpoint. It's not about me understanding your perspective and your point of view. It's me trying to um, persuade you to adopt mine. And that is why we have so much conflict because everyone is talking and no one is listening. Um, and so, you know, active listening is such a huge part of it. Um, you know, and I actually just had this conversation um, with a group on Saturday. And I said, you know, one of the problems that we have is we don't put ourselves in positions to appreciate one another's value. And then we immediately are drawn to our differences. Mm -hmm. But if you value me and you get to know me, then we, when we come to the places where we have differences of opinions or perspectives, you value me enough to hear me instead of just trying to make me, you know, another member of your, you know, alliance that, you know, espouses your viewpoint, you value me enough to appreciate the difference and actually hear me out. Right, right. I've got a great example of that. I was um, asked to be on a panel, it's probably a couple of weeks ago, and it was just a panel of a topic. And it was six women from around the world, all different cultures, backgrounds, religion, all of that. So we get all together on Zoom and I'm a member of a six person panel. And the topic was um, about your beliefs in religion. And as soon as I just sat there and went, this is gonna be interesting. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and of the six, and I was surprised, and they were from all over the world. Sure. I was the only Christian. And it was very uncomfortable at first because I didn't speak first. I was listening to all the other ladies, but there are ladies that, you know, believe in nothing, just, just energy in the universe. Mm -hmm. And we're just a ball of energy. And then we go away. Then there's people that believe in stuff I've never even heard of um, or a different type of God. Mm -hmm. It's just so completely opposite is what I'm trying to say of what I firmly believe in and, and live my life by. But not once, not once did I feel angry or threatened or fearful. I was sitting there enthralled thinking, wow, where, how did that, how did their, what in their life brought them to that point where that's what they firmly, I mean, with their whole heart believe and I mean, there was, there was one that was a, an atheist as well. So it was an incredibly interesting conversation, but not once did I sit in judgment of any of those other ladies. Absolutely. And not once did they sit in judgment of me. Now, at one point, the one lady was going on and on and on, and then they just turned to me, you know, said, okay, Kim, what are your thoughts? And I said, I'm going to be very honest. I completely and totally disagree with that thought. And this is why. And, but I was not being talking to be conflictive or, or anything. Absolutely. And when I explained my viewpoint as a Christian, all the other ladies were going, oh, oh, now I under, okay, I understand why you think that way or why you may feel that way. So it was so, when I was told the topic, I was armored up, like you said. <laughs> 
I was armored up. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be feeling the D-man's darts pinging at me during this one, you know. Um, but I, the devil, that's what I call the devil's the D-man. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you know, but it was such an interesting, and I know most people would not sit in that environment and be, you know, open-minded and welcome the chance to hear all of these totally different thoughts and beliefs, they would automatically just go, you know, tighten up. You could, you could see people tightening up. And I sat back in my chair with my cup of coffee. I'm thinking, this is absolutely fascinating. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and think about this. Um, When you made the statement about disagreeing with some of what had been said, the way that you had engaged prior to that statement created an atmosphere where there was greater reception. Oh, I was questioning because I, I was constantly saying, okay, could you explain that? Because I really don't understand. I really right. want to understand this. And we all did that with each other. It was truly amazing. And I got off of that, that actually, that, that conversation stuck in my head for a couple of days. And Absolutely. I'm thinking, you know, such massive, truly massive differences. And yet we all sat there with nothing but respect from the beginning to the end for each other. And we still keep in touch now. Exactly. Because you all communicated value to one another. It wasn't, you didn't go up there like, I'm trying to change you. I'm trying to convince you. Right. Um, I am bringing who I am to the table. I'm listening to what you've brought to the table. Um, it doesn't mean I'm going to change my belief but it does mean I'm open to understanding yours. Right. And that makes so much of a difference. And if we had more of that in our society right now, it really would be a whole new world. It would be so different. And I keep, you know, I I say that almost daily, you know, it would be a whole different world if people just, you know. And then I have, what's this, what, oh, who's the gentleman who sings that, what a wonderful world? Oh, I'm totally playing. Armstrong. Oh, gosh. And he has that real raspy voice. What a wonderful world it would be. I know, I'm trying to think. Oh, I completely (laughs) blanked out on that. Goodness gracious. (laughs) I'll think like four hours. Right, right. The moment moment we're finished. (laughs) Yeah. I love how you said, I'm bringing who I am to the table. And that you're open to hearing who you are as well, you know, everybody else around it. Love that. That would be a great title for a book. (laughs) Have you written a book? I have a book that is in the process now. It has not been released. Um, It is scheduled for the fall. Um, But yes, um, that is is not the title, but that is definitely um, a part of it. Write that down. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely taking that note. Well, I, when, when the book is released or before the book is released, I want to have you back on. Absolutely. So we will do nothing but talk about the book. Absolutely. I would love that. I would love that. And um, I am really, really excited um, also because in um, late spring, um, I am going to be doing a, a whole new program that's going to be made available. So um, I tell everyone 
I am Shannon L. Felder on all social media platforms. And my website is shannonlfelder.com. So everyone um, who listens, connect with me because I really want um, everyone to be able to, to find out about this. I actually have um, a VIP waiting list right now um, for this particular um, program and everyone on the VIP list is going to get early access and a special discount. So go to shannonlfelder.com and click the link to get on the VIP list because um, I'm, I'm so excited about this. It's going to be the first time that I've done a group program. Um, I've done a lot of individual work, but this is the first group one. And so I'm really excited about it. Oh, it sounds exciting. So all your links will be shared in your bio when this is up and live and running. So folks will be able to do that as well. Just click on those links. Shannon, thank you so, so much for being with me today. This has been an absolute pleasure. And this is something I could listen to you talk about and talk to you about for probably two to three more hours. And I'm telling you, I could talk about it uh, for two or three more hours because <laughs> I, I really, I mean, just, I love what I do. I love seeing, the trajectory of relationships, whether they're individual or corporate change. Um, and it, it's so rewarding. I, and I, I can believe that. I can truly believe that. So again, thank you. Thank you very much for being my guest on Let Fear Bounce. And we will be keeping in touch because I am definitely going to want to have you back on to talk about your book. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you so much and have a blessed day. Thank you. You too.